Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. A little more than 20 years ago, I gathered up what little money I had, scraped all my pennies together, and I took it all to a jewelry store in New Jersey, and I spent it all on one small item, a diamond engagement ring. And then I headed to North Carolina to propose to my girlfriend, and with her family present, I got down on one knee and asked Kate to marry me, and she said yes. And uh, <laughs> you don't have to clap for that. That was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but that, that little ring, that, that, that small item, that was small, has so much significance because it served as a sign of a promise. That promise was that I was going to marry her. And then six months later, I came good on my promise. And over 20 years later, through God's grace and a lot of hard work, that promise still holds up, uh, but mine only took a couple of months to fulfill. Can you imagine a promise that took years to fulfill? How about decades? How about centuries? That's precisely what happened with God. He made a promise, and like an engagement ring, he said, here is a sign to look for that God would fulfill that promise. Today we begin a new message series that we're calling Night Divine. It's going to carry us all the way up to Christmas, and it's all about the birth of Christ. You know, the, the, the birth of Christ is arguably the most single most significant moment in history. The, the night of Christ's birth was, was when the, the same God who flung the stars in the sky and who breathed life into humanity, and even now sits enthroned in heaven, directing the affairs of the billions of people on the planet, that same God stepped into humanity and was born in a manger, subjecting himself to the limitations of a human body so that he could be the God-man, fully God, fully divine to dwell among us and ultimately die for us to remove the curse of sin. And, and baby Jesus in a manger is not just a nice little story we like to recite every December. This is a historical event that prophets predicted hundreds of years before it ever occurred and was fulfilled with stunning accuracy. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we want to look at these prophecies that surrounded the birth of Christ, and I think in the process we're going to discover a God who keeps his promises. So to frame up our time today, we're going to begin with one of those promises. It's a promise that God made to the great King David. This one came through the prophet Nathan. It's found in 2 Samuel 7. I want to read it to you. Verse 11, God says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God made a promise to David. 
that out of his royal lineage would come a king who would sit on the throne, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the chosen one. Now, we don't live in a monarchy, so sometimes this kind of illustration falls a little short on us. Probably the closest thing we have to a monarchy is across the Atlantic Ocean in London's Buckingham Palace. Much of the world is very enthralled with the royal family. Maybe you're one of them. But in case you didn't know, being in line for the throne is not something you can attain on your own. You can't just put your mind to it. Okay, this, there's not a sign-up sheet that gets passed around for royalty. There, there's no reality show where the winner is given the crown. If you want to be in line for the throne, there's only one way in. You've got to be born into royalty. And the same is true with the promise that God gave to David. He said that out of David's royal line, his lineage, would come a king. But unlike any king who came before or any king who would come after, this would be the king of all kings, an eternal king, one who would reign on the throne forever. And with this kind of promise, uh, this is something that is called a covenant. It's the Davidic covenant. That's David with the letters IC on the end. And covenant is just another word for promise. And this particular promise made by God was irreversible and irrevocable, meaning no thing or no one would ever be able to stop it from happening. But occasionally there was times in history where it appeared that this promise of God was threatened. And one of those occurred in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, you can turn in your Bible or turn on your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to look at some of these circumstances recorded by the prophet. We're going to begin in verse 2 of Isaiah 7. You can read along with me or you can follow along on the screens. It says this. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now sometimes when you read the Bible, you see names and places and your eyes just kind of gloss over and you check out. So let me just really briefly bring you up to speed with what's taking place here. First, it says the house of David. That's just another way of saying the line of David. It's what we just talked about. And we hear these, of these two world powers, these two enemies, Aram and Ephraim, and they've allied together and decided they were going to attack the kingdom of Judah. So Aram and Ephraim in our modern-day context would be Israel and Syria. And they're coming after somebody named Ahaz, who was the king at that time. Now, to better understand this, let's just kind of put it into the context of our modern times. Think about what's happening right now with Ukraine. Unless your head has been completely buried in the sand, you know that Ukraine has been fending off a Russian invasion. And they're, they're giving it everything they got, and it seems like they have just enough to hold off uh, Russia and, and all of its uh, attacks on the country. Now imagine this. Imagine if Russia then formed a confederacy with another major power, and they both decided to attack Ukraine together. If that was the case, President Zelensky would then suddenly feel very scared because it's like, we barely have enough to keep Russia at bay. Now another enemy is coming in. And that's kind of what King Ahaz was facing. He gets wind of the fact that his enemies are now teaming up against him. And what was his response? It says in verse 2, the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken 
as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. You know that feeling, that feeling of deep fear that keeps you up at night. And for King Ahaz, he knew the promise. He knew the Davidic covenant. But he was still afraid that he was going to die, his family was going to die, and, and David's royal bloodline would be wiped off the face of the earth. Even though he knew the promise of God, it was not enough to quell his fears. So God sent the prophet Isaiah into his presence to encourage him and to help him to see, God's got this. Verse 4, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. You know, one of the, one of the distinguishing marks of a person who follows God is peace. We have the gospel of peace. And when, and when you have the peace of Christ with you, you ought to be able to bring peace into any situation you step into. That's what this prophet did. He shows up to the king and he says, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. There's a massive lesson we can learn just from this one verse. And that is that we don't see things the same way that God sees things. God described these two enemies that were invading as smoldering stubs of firewood. Have you ever made a campfire? You take the big chunks of wood, you know, you throw them in there and you light them on fire, and they burn big and bright for a while. But after a couple of hours, those things get small and get reduced to ash. And you and I are so much like King Ahaz. When the, when the troubles and the problems mount out, what we see is a raging wildfire. What God sees is a couple of burnt-up sticks. And it's like God's holding these and saying, this, this is what you're scared of? Don't be afraid. Remember the promise. And then Isaiah takes it up a notch. Jump down to verse 9. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now understand, this is not the first time Isaiah has challenged the king like this. He's come to him in the past and said, hey, there's a reason why you keep getting invaded by all the neighboring nations. you got to turn your heart back to God. He was an evil king. He was mistreating his people. They were turning a blind eye to injustice. They were allowing the vulnerable to be victimized. They were getting caught up in foreign gods. And Isaiah said, you got to turn your heart back to God. Now, it's important to point out that Isaiah was a prophet. A prophet was a spokesperson for God. Remember, they didn't have the complete Bible back then. So God spoke to them through prophets and was revealing new things about his character and about his nature. The Bible was literally being written in their midst. And when you compare what you and I have today with access to the complete word of God to, to what the, the people of the Bible had, we have a master's degree by comparison. And so because we have the complete word of God, we're no longer in need of prophets. And so if a, a person comes along the way and claims to be a prophet and wants to reveal something new about God that's not already in his word, we got a term for that. False prophets. Don't believe them. Isaiah was a true prophet, and he was calling the king to keep the faith. And the king was just so terrified, so Isaiah decided to say this. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So Isaiah said to the king, okay, fine. If you don't believe me, 
ask God for a sign to confirm if what I'm saying is true. You and I do this all the time, don't we? Have you ever asked God for a sign? God, what should I do? Give me a sign. You know, when I was a younger man, I used to stand in front of the basketball hoop in front of my house. I said, all right, God, I'm going to take the shot. If I make it, that means I'm supposed to go through door number one. If I miss it, that means I'm supposed to go through door number two. Take the shot, clang. Okay, two out of three, God. (laughs) I mean, what if God gave you that green light? I said, I'll ask for whatever you want. Ask for a sign, and I'll give it to you to let you know how you should proceed. You'd be a fool to not take that. But yet, look how King Ahaz responds. Verse 12, Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. At first, this seems like a very spiritually mature answer. I don't want to put God to the test. Don't be fooled. There's a reason why Ahaz didn't ask for a sign. It's because he already knew Isaiah was telling the truth. And so if he got a sign, now he was accountable. And that would mean he'd have to change. It'd be kind of like this. Let's say that you get into an argument with somebody and they accuse you of saying something offensive. And you say, I never said that. And they fire back, oh, yes, you did. And you say, oh, no, I didn't. And they say, yes, you did. And you say, you must have heard me wrong. And they say, well, actually, as it turns out, I recorded the entire conversation on my phone. So I want to play it back for you right now. And you say, ah, you know, this conversation's over. And you storm out, right? Because now there's empirical proof that what you said was offensive. And now you would have to be accountable to that proof. You'd have to make some kind of change, admit you were wrong, apologize, whatever. And so for Ahaz, he knew that if he got a sign, that means that he would have had to change his ways, turn his heart back to God, and he was unwilling to do that. So Ahaz said, fine, you don't want to ask God for a sign? I'm going to give you one anyway. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So the prophet said, here is the sign to look for, to know that God is in control and that he's a God who keeps his promises. Be on the lookout for something you've never seen before. A virgin will conceive and give birth to the Messiah from the royal line of David, Emmanuel, God with us. God always keeps his promises. Now, Isaiah, in his book alone, made 22 different prophecies about the coming Messiah. This was the first of all of them, one that would be fulfilled in Jesus through the Virgin Mary. Now, this is the time of the year where I'm sure we will have no shortage of people who are claiming that the virgin birth was a hoax. Your friends will post articles on Facebook. CNN will do some kind of expose. You know, Netflix will air some documentary claiming that Christians stole the virgin birth from some ancient religion that doesn't exist anymore, which, sidebar, if Christianity borrowed the virgin birth from a religion that no longer exists, 
Why are all of them gone, but the Christian faith is the most widely practiced faith system on the planet? It begs the question, who borrowed from who? But what critics love to do is to point out something that we just read in this verse. The virgin will conceive. They love to say, well, that word virgin can also mean an unmarried woman. And so maybe Isaiah wasn't talking about Mary. It could have been about anyone who wasn't married. But it's important to know that that word in Hebrew, every single time it's used in the Old Testament, refers to a literal virgin, someone who has abstained from all sexual activity. And so the next critique is, well, just read the next verse, and then you'll see it can't be talking about Jesus. So let's read the next verse. Verse 16, it says, For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. And so because there's mention of the two kings of Ahaz's day with the boy who's who's going to be born, this can't refer to Jesus because Jesus wasn't born for another 400 plus years later. So the best way to understand these prophecies is to understand that there is both a present fulfillment and a future fulfillment. The present fulfillment is a timeline right here in 16. It says, before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Well, how long does it take a child to move from babyhood to boyhood? It takes about two years. I've got boys, I know. It takes about two years. Here's the amazing thing. Both of those two kings who were invading Ahaz, dead within two years. The present fulfillment of this prophecy, checkmark. As for the future fulfillment of this prophecy, well, that would come centuries later with the birth of Jesus. So so what does all of this have to do with you and I right here, right now in our current circumstance? What in the world can we learn from a, a frightened king and a messianic prophecy? Well, I believe that God sent the prophet Isaiah to encourage the king with a message that ought to encourage us all these thousands of years later. And that is this, that whatever circumstance is in front of you, you don't have to be afraid because God is firmly in control. The question is, are you willing to trust him when things appear to be out of God's control? Here's another way to say this that maybe hopefully will be easier for us all to remember. Just this one statement. Give God your yes and trust him with the rest. Our job is to say yes to God and then to believe in faith that he's going to work out the details in his own way and in his own time. Give God your yes and trust him with the rest. Now, let's fast forward a few centuries later, and the kings of Israel and Judah are no more, and now the Israelites, they all live under the looming shadow of the mighty Roman Empire. And in a low-income, podunk town called Nazareth lived a God-fearing man by the name of Joseph who was engaged to a God-fearing woman by the name of Mary. And his account can be found in the New Testament Gospel of Matthew. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time there. We'll be in Matthew chapter 1. You can read along with me starting in verse 18. It says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So imagine being in love with someone, someone you intended to marry, that suddenly showed signs of infidelity. Mary maintained her innocence, claimed that she had never been with another man before, but her pregnancy told another story. And don't miss the the not-so-subtle reference to the nature of their physical relationship in this verse, before they came together. So Joseph did his part. He remained sexually pure. And Mary claimed to have done the same thing, but yet she showed all of the signs of unfaithfulness. And so Joseph did what any one of us would have done. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This had to be an agonizing decision for Joseph. To break up with the woman he loved. And and he wanted to do it in the best way possible, the way that protected her the most. But call it what it is, it's still a breakup. But what Joseph didn't realize was that that same prophecy delivered by Isaiah to the king all of those hundreds of years earlier was being fulfilled right under his nose. And so before he had a chance to sign the divorce papers, God intervened. Verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Two things jump out to me right away from this verse. The first one is how Joseph was titled Son of David. Remember, the Messiah is going to come from David's royal line. And also what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. She is not unfaithful. She is not lying. She has been given a miraculous pregnancy not with the help of any man, but of divine origin. Joseph didn't realize he was playing part in a much larger story, and so when he was given this information, how did he respond? Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He gave God his yes, even though he didn't know how all of the details would work out. And the author of this book was the disciple Matthew, the disciple of Jesus. And in this, he inserted his own commentary. In verse 22, he said, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All of the writers of the Bible were were breathed into, were given inspiration by the very Spirit of God to write what they wrote. And here, Matthew authoritatively claims that this was not just a set of circumstances that were coincidental. This was the fulfillment of the very prophecy Isaiah talked about hundreds of years in advance. God is a God who keeps his promises. And Joseph heard this and gave God his yes. As for Mary, her account is found in the New Testament Gospel of Luke. I want to read a few verses from that in Luke chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, more on that next week, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Look at all the detail packed into that one verse. This was written by a doctor. Doctors are quite familiar with where babies come from. And here he was convinced of a virgin who was pledged to be married. This virgin's name was Mary, Mary, and she was engaged to a descendant of David, which is interesting. When you look at Mary's genealogy, which is found in Luke 3, she too was a descendant of David. Remember, Messiah is going to come from the throne of David. So you have Joseph, a descendant of David, Mary, a descendant of David. That's a pretty good combination if I do say so myself. Verse 28 The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I think that's a fairly understandable response. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Doesn't this remind you of the same thing Isaiah said to the king? Don't be afraid. Don't worry. God's got this. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? Asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Do you see all of the layers of prophecy being fulfilled in this moment? throne of his father David. His kingdom will never end. A virgin. Friends, this is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from any other religion in the world. It's all of the prophecy, but not just the prophecy that's jam-packed in the pages of Scripture. It's the fulfilled prophecy. And not just like a little bit fulfilled. You know, we checked a couple of boxes, but left a whole lot unchecked. Fulfilled with 100% accuracy. Search every other religion. You will find nothing like this. And then the angel punctuates this with this statement he makes to Mary in verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. Friends, we serve a God who can be trusted. He is not a powerless God. He is not some statue that people leave flowers in front of. He's not some obscure idea like fate or universe. He's not some storybook character. He's not an ordinary person who flakes on his promises. This is a God who stays true to his word. What he says goes, and he can always be trusted. And when Mary received this information, how did she respond? Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Give God your yes and trust him with the rest. She had no clue of how this would all play out, but she said yes anyway. And that's the challenge that you and I have before us as well. Say yes to God. And I just wonder if even now God is stirring something in your hearts. He's burdening you with something and you're wrestling with this do I say yes to God? What does that look like to, to give him our yes? Well, before you do that, I want you to count the cost because there's a couple of key things that I think you have to believe if you're going to say yes to God. And I'll just run through a couple of them with you right here. here here's the first one. 
When you give God your yes, you must believe that there is gaining in the giving. When you say yes to God, you have to believe that you will gain more than you give up. Because here's the reality. Giving God your yes always requires you to give something up. And maybe now you're sensing deep down in your soul that God's calling you to give something of yourself to him, but the reason for your hesitation is you're fearful of all of the things you're going to have to give up. I would challenge you to think this way. Instead of thinking about what you have to give, have you considered what you will gain? This was the exact problem with King Ahaz. Remember Isaiah said, ask the Lord for a sign. He said, I'm not going to do that. He likely thought about all of the things that he would have to give up, and he didn't want to pay the price. He didn't want to focus on what he could gain. It's kind of like, let's say that you're stranded on the side of the road because your car ran out of gas. And you know you could just pick up the phone and call your dad, and he'll help you. But you also know that your dad said, make sure you fill the tank before you go. And so if you call your dad, you're going to have to give something up. You're going to have to give up your pride. Admit that you were wrong. Admit that you didn't listen. Or for some people, they're having problems with their kids and they need help. I've heard stories of people with their adult children. They're seeing them make horrible choices, drinking too much, and that's leading to bad decision-making. And then maybe there's certain parents who are like, I know what I need to do. I need to tell my kid they need to stop drinking, but that would mean that I would need to stop drinking. I don't know if I'm willing to pay that price. I just have to give up too much. For so many others, we're walking around carrying this guilt. There's only one person who could take away your guilt, and that's Jesus Christ. And maybe the reason why we haven't called on him for his help is because we're afraid of what we have to give up that's causing the guilt. Maybe it's a live-in boyfriend or girlfriend or a secret addiction or a hidden lie. Boy, if I have to give this up, man, that's a lot. Are you only focusing on what you have to give and not what you would gain? This is what the Apostle Paul said. He was somebody who was willing to throw his whole life before Christ away so that he could walk with Christ in a new life. He said these words in Philippians 3.8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I'm willing to give it away because I realize that what I gain is so much better. For Joseph, he had to look down the impossibly hard road of what he would lose. His reputation would have been one of those things. But I just wonder if somewhere in the process he also saw that what I gain outweighs what I give. Mary, before she said yes to God, had to look down the road of being an unwed, pregnant teenager in a tight-knit community where everybody knows everybody's business. But I just wonder if in her process she had to think that what I gain outweighs what I give. The enemy wants you to think that you can never trust Christ because you're going to have to give up all of the things that you love. But what he doesn't want you to consider are the life-changing, burden-lifting, relief-breathing gains you will occur if you do trust Christ. When you say yes to God, when you give him your yes, you got to understand that there's something that you're going to have to give up. But do you believe that what you will gain will be much greater? Giving God our yes means believe there is gaining in the giving. Here's another thing. Believe there is treasure 
in the trial. One thing I can guarantee is this, is every single person is going to go through trials, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Some of you are going through trials right now. Some of you are in health trials. Some of you are in financial trials. Some of you are in family trials. Just last hour, a person from this church revealed to me that they're getting sued for everything they got. They're in a trial. But here's the amazing thing about God. When you give God your yes and you keep your eyes open, you will see that he is with you every step of the way. God is at his best when our backs are against the wall. I think about Mary and Joseph showing up in Bethlehem and not being able to find a place to lodge anywhere. I don't think we quite realize how stressful this had to have been. Now, this might be hard for you to understand, but back then the government didn't know what they were doing. They, 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 they called a census and forced everyone to come to Bethlehem and register, but they didn't have an infrastructure to support it. So imagine being a pregnant teenager, scared, and every place you tried to find lodging, there's a line 50 people deep. And you thought Black Friday shopping was stressful. I mean, can you imagine being a, a pregnant woman about to burst in line at Walmart on Black Friday for a doorbuster sale, and you're like, I'm about to give birth, but I really want the new iPhone too. <laughs> I mean, listen, Mary was in a highly stressful situation. Joseph, too. And don't you just wonder if they doubted God somewhere along the way? Like, hey, if, if this is the Messiah we're talking about here, you'd think you'd provide some lodging. <laughs> and eventually they found uh, some quarters of a place where they could actually give birth. And, and I just wonder if all of those doubts erased the moment a bunch of shepherds came racing in, took one look at Jesus, and started worshiping God. And they spilled out into the streets of Bethlehem, spreading joy and letting everyone know Messiah is here. And look what was recorded about Mary in Luke chapter 2. It said, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I have seen in my own life that when the trials come, God always gives me what I need. And I bet you've experienced this too. Where, where I know in the darkest times I've had, whether it's rejection or, or loss or, or death or loneliness, that God brings people along. He, he provides financially. He brings encouragement and hope. And what that does in the process is I watch God work and it reinforces my trust in him. Those moments are treasure to me. And I look back on some of those hardest moments and realize that that's what formed the intimacy with God that I have in my life when, when, when I hung on and, and waited for him to come through. And if you keep your eyes open, you will see that there's treasure all along the way in the trial if you continue to trust in God and trust in him with the details. When the days are the darkest is when God shines the brightest. And when you give God your yes, you've got to believe that there's treasure in the trial. So number one, believe there's gaining in the giving. Believe there's treasure in the trial. Here's one more. Believe there is working in the waiting. Part of giving God our yes means giving God our clocks and believing that his timing is what's going to be best. Let's go back to Isaiah 
He's with the king. The king is shaking like a leaf on a tree as he's, he's thinking about the marching boots that are impending. And he really needs help from God. And what does Isaiah say? Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What? A virgin? A, a, a son? What Ahaz needed was an army, not a baby. I mean, this had to feel like a letdown. But if Ahaz would have just stopped hyperventilating for five seconds, he would have realized just how encouraging this was. The virgin birth was a sign that the line of David would not be ended that day. The virgin birth was a sign that his enemies would not prevail. The virgin birth was a sign that God is firmly in control. And the reality is that for so many of us, we're put in situations where, where we have to wait, and waiting feels like wasting. Some of you are in those places right now. You're waiting for the doctor to call back, or you're waiting for that person to come that you could spend the rest of your life with, or, or you're waiting for your kids to, to come back to God. And, and, and what feels like downtime to us is a build-up to God. We can't always know what God's doing but we can always know God is working. And he came through on his promise when he sent the Messiah to be born of a virgin. But there's a part of that promise that still hasn't come true yet, and that's God reigning on the throne forever. For that, we still have to wait. And Jesus said, he's coming again. And the second time he comes, it ain't gonna be as a little baby in a manger, but as a king on his throne. This is a God we could trust. And so my question for you today is, are you giving God your yes? And are you trusting him with the rest? Perhaps you're somebody in here who, who you've never done that before. You've never given God your yes. Maybe today is the day you want to invite Christ into your life. And I'm not talking about just asking God to help you find your keys or, or do, do great on a test or believing that he's real. I'm talking about asking him to be your personal Lord and Savior, praying to him and saying, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you died in my place. Will you come into my life and be my God? If you've never prayed a prayer like this, if you've never invited Christ into your life like this, what better time to do it than right now? Here we are entering the final month of the year. You've been putting it off long enough. Maybe right now is the moment you finally say yes. I want to invite everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in just a moment, I want to give you a prayer that you could repeat after me. It's just a simple prayer acknowledging our need for God. And I'll give you the words, but you've got to own them, make them your own, pray them in faith. And so now is the time, if you are ready to invite Christ in your life, that I want to encourage you that in the silence of your own heart, repeat these words back into me. Right, right back up to heaven. Repeat after me. Jesus, today I give you my yes. You tell him right up to heaven. Jesus, today I give you my yes. I put my trust in you. I know I've sinned against you. I believe you died in my place to take away my sins. 
I ask that you forgive me, Jesus. Give me a new heart so I could leave my old life behind and walk in new life with you. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed to receive Christ today, I want to encourage you to let us know. Here's a simple way to do it. If you have a program, right at the bottom is a box that said, I said yes. Fill that out, check that box, and in just a moment, our ushers are going to come through and take today's offering. You could just tear off that little card and drop it in the bag as it comes by. Those of you who are watching online, there's links that you could follow. Maybe you've already prayed to receive Jesus, but you want to take your next step. You want to get growing. Here's how to do that. Text the word next to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people is on the other end of that line, and they're ready to exchange a few messages with you to help you get going. Maybe you want to join a small group. Maybe you want to get baptized. Maybe you want to serve. Whatever. Text next to 909-281-7797. Or you could stop by our next step table right here in the lobby, and there's somebody standing there ready to have that conversation with you. Next week, we're going to talk about the prophecy of the messenger. Again, Isaiah talked about one who would go before Jesus, talked about it hundreds of years before it happened. And it had incredible significance to the story. I want you to be thinking about who you can invite with you to come to church and sit with you next Sunday and hear this powerful word from God. But until then, let's remember, we serve a God who can be trusted. The whole reason why there was a virgin birth is so that Jesus could enter humanity to die in our place. You can't kill a spirit, but you can kill a person. Jesus was born to die for us. He loves you, and you can trust him with your life, regardless of what you're facing. Give God your yes, and trust him with the rest. He is worthy of our trust. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you for the fact that you have not just left us alone to fend for ourselves, to try to work to please you, to try to attain forgiveness on our own, but you stepped into your own creation and took on a human body to lay your life down for us. God, thank you for the fact that you keep your promise. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here who's struggling with the circumstances of their life, struggling with what the days ahead are, Lord, I pray that today you would strengthen them with an ironclad resolve to be reminded that you come through and we just have to hold on. Father, for anyone who's not trusted in you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they not leave this place today without doing so. And Father, as we prepare to take offering, as we give over our financial gifts, our tithes, our offerings, Lord, I pray that this very act would be an act of worship, of, of us showing that we trust you, God. We trust you with this money that you've blessed us with, and we give it back to you, God. Multiply it and use it to bless others. Thank you so much, Jesus, for loving us and giving of yourself to us. We don't take that for granted. And you are the reason for this season, and we worship you today. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And if you believe in your heart, then let the church say, Amen. Amen.
Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.